fit at the expense of your health, um, or it can make you healthy, right. and uh, therefore you'll just end up being fit. And they're two very, very different approaches. I try and help them, um, you know, make the the appropriate changes um, to to uh, to be the best version of themselves. That's Ryan Draper, and this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Bike Pack Canada. Hey, you guys. Uh, so I'm just out on a ride. I'm just rolling into Radium Hot Springs, and I uh, hope you can hear me. It's your host. But I wanted to tell you guys that I effing love you. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate all the positive feedback I got from that first podcast, and uh, I've said it a couple times. I'm super honored uh, to be bringing it to you. My lips are frozen. It's about what, minus 18. Uh, got my pogies, my toasty hands. Got some podcasts going in the background. And I just wanted to show you guys some love. So uh, thanks for all the support. Uh, keep the rubber side down, everybody. Hey, Steve, this is Jeff and Olivia from Alberta. We're currently uh, starting month three of bikepacking through Colombia. We have uh, nine more months to go as we make our way uh, south down to Argentina. Um, right now we're about 160 kilometers southeast of Medellin um, at the confluence of a couple of different rivers here where there are some thermal pools and you can hear the river in the background. We've been really lucky to hit a whole ton of dirt roads sort of in between the main highways and the cities and um, see some really cool towns where uh, a lot of people don't go to. So um, we're really living it up right now and look forward to hearing more on the podcast. Thanks so much. Talk later. I can say effing, right? Hi, guys. It's your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy, bringing you back the Bike Pack Canada podcast. So happy to be here with you guys this morning. What time is it right now? It's uh, 7.40. Just drove my wife to work. Kids are upstairs watching the cartoon. And this is the time that I take to uh, to try to come to you guys with some uh, cool info about bikepacking. Um, yeah, voice intros. I recorded that voice intro on a ride I did, uh, I don't know, a week ago. Um, I hadn't received any voice memos. So uh I was out riding and I was feeling some gratitude and uh, I just wanted to show you guys some love. Uh, thanks for all the positive feedback. I've gotten some great feedback online. Um, someone emailed me to give me some constructive feedback about my uh, audio levels, etc., which I'm going to try to uh, integrate into my projects. And uh, so I really appreciate you guys uh, reaching out to me and uh, kind of almost had this podcast in the can and uh a voice memo popped up. So here I am this morning re-recording my intros because I wanted to uh, give a shout out to um, to Jeff and Olivia for uh, what sounds like a pretty awesome bike packing trip. Hey, guess what else? I received a uh, an email from Devin Lees and uh, I got uh, his permission to read it to you guys. So here we go. Devin says, just wanted to say thank you for starting up the podcast again. I got into it only last year and was heartbroken to hear about Ryan's passing. I bought all the books and a few new bikes, and he's solely responsible for pushing me to try endurance, and in brackets he puts, not real endurance, biking. Only 100 kilometers in a day, but I'm hoping to extend that to some great trips in the future. 
Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you for starting it back up again, and I'm a fan. And in, a, in below, he says, uh, my wife's pregnant. Maybe some future casts could be around how to continue the sport with a newborn. Maybe trailers for them? Just a thought. Well, I would encourage you to go back and listen to um, podcast number, uh, is it 15? And it was called The Evil Moose, and uh, it's with Megan Dunn. And she gives some really interesting ideas on how you can integrate bikepacking trips with your family or how to do it, get out for training rides uh, when you have a family. It can be tough to get out, find time. Um, also, I wanted to go back. You said uh, uh, only 100 kilometers in a day. Dude, that's awesome. If you can ride 100K, that's fantastic. I bet most of your buddies don't ride that far. So uh, be proud of that. That's a good distance. It's a good base. You can keep building on that. Um, so what was the other thing I was going to say about that? Oh, with uh, having a family, I have two kids of my own and uh, I would suggest that you get a really good set of lights, Devin, because you'll find that uh, the time that you have to ride is going to be <laughs> after hours as it were, especially in the winter. If you're riding fat bikes, uh, you're going to be riding in the dark a lot. So get a good set of lights. Um, I use a light with a, uh, a battery pack, um, and I get tons of, I don't know how many hours I get into that thing on low. I think it's, it's 10 hours at least on low, uh, on high. I think I can probably get three hours out of it. Battery pack's a good idea, but it's, they're kind of heavy. So, uh, um, but I just don't want to run out of juice when I'm on the trail. So that's important to me. Um, when I bike pack, I have a bit of a different light setup. That's a bit lighter. I don't have a dynamo. So I, uh, I use a bit of a different setup for that. So again, thank you, Devin, for your email. Fantastic. And thank you, Jeff and Olivia, for your voice memo. Uh, also, thanks, Peter, for the, the feedback on the audio quality. Hopefully this one comes off, uh, comes out at higher levels. I'm kind of playing with, uh, with what you recommended. So I want it to sound good for all you guys. Um, what do you think about the music? Uh, I found a royalty-free uh, track online and I cut a loop out of it and kind of underlaid it under the intro. Do you like it? Let me know if you don't. I think it's a good groove. I kind of took it for a test ride and I was like, yeah, that's a good groove. I like that. So I thought I'd underlay that uh, in the intro. I'll probably use it throughout maybe as a bit of a transition piece. But you know what? I'd rather hear your music. So why don't you send me something that you've recorded? There's got to be someone out there who's making music. Come on, people. Let's do it. Uh, so again, thanks everyone for the feedback. And don't forget, please send your uh, emails and voice memos to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com and I'll get them on the show. So a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to engage my next guest in a conversation on the phone that lasted about an hour and a half. I was just ramping up my training for the BC Epic 1000 and I wanted to talk to this person about training and nutrition and I gained a ton of insight. Uh, when I started doing this podcast, this was someone that I really wanted to have a conversation with and share it with everybody. He is the head coach of the Rundle Mountain Cycling Club. He's an NCCP certified coach. He's a PMBI instructor and guide. He's a bike fitter. He's a mechanic, super experienced racer and coach and athlete, uh, and an all-around good guy. Please welcome Ryan Draper. So what are you doing here right now? What's the Nipka thing? Uh, Tell us about your camp. Yeah, so three, well, two and a, two and a half day uh, fat bike camp out here. Uh, more clinic style where people are going to learn a little bit about the uh, 
you know, the, the, the background of, of fat biking, uh, right through to everything from, you know, appropriate tire pressures, what to wear, different conditions, uh, different grooming they might encounter. Um, so we're going to do some skills sessions. We're going to do some group rides. We're going to explore some night rides, um, mainly because, you know, winter we've, we've got so much dark that, uh, after four 30 and, uh, you know, in this part of the country, we, uh, we have darkness. So fat biking a lot of times happens at night. So we're going to go over all that stuff. We've got, um, a number of people here, uh, from all over, uh, we've got Calgary and Canmore and Saskatoon. Um, and then unfortunately with the highway closing snowfall warning out, um, we're, we're, we're down a couple people, but, uh, it'll be, it'll be good nonetheless. Yeah. It was fun riding with you guys today. It's a good group of people. How did you come about becoming a coach and, um, like what's your history of cycling to get you to this point? So yeah, the, the history you get, you get deep, <laughs> deep. Yeah. uh, probably started when I was 12, um, took up Nordic ski racing, uh, simultaneously to hockey and, um, ended up being coached for the very first time at the, the age of kind of 12, 13, uh, by a coach who, uh, who actually passed away just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really big influence and mentor in my life. Kind of the, one of the, one of the main male role models, um, you know, that I had uh, really instilled some, some very, uh, noble values of, of loyalty and, um, you know, dedication, commitment, hard work, and, uh, made sure that we knew that like, you know, there was always something more out there, like, you know, like that, uh, you know, you, you didn't get praise very often from, from him. And, um, you know, that just kept us kind of driving on. And so, yeah, I, I was coached until I was about 17, uh, 18 years old and then, uh, moved away from home, uh, came, came West and, uh, started self-coaching. And, uh, so I had a number of years of kind of self-coaching and, and researching the, the ultra endurance world and endurance, uh, endurance sport. Wasn't much literature uh, on it back then. And so a lot of it was just trial and error and self-discovery and, uh, by the time I was 20, I had kind of read everything that was out there and experimented fairly extensively with, uh, 24 hour racing, you know, solo and, uh, doing a bunch of other, you know, big, long epics that, um, I had uh, people coming to me asking for, for guidance and, and that type of thing. So started, uh, coaching and, uh, the, the coaching has been, you know, part of my, my life for the last 20 years. And it could be just one person, you know, that I have at a time, uh, I think there was 15 athletes that I was working with at, at another time it ebbs and it flows and, and it evolves. And it's uh, just as much a learning, uh, experience and process for me as it is for, for the athletes that I, that I coach. And, um, you know, throughout the, the process of, of coaching from the time I was 20 and, until today, I've, I've done a number of, uh, of long, uh, ultra endurance mountain bike races, um, 24 hour solo stuff. I did 25 of them, um, in a number of years, probably the seven, eight year span. And, um, it traveled, uh, you know, around Canada, the U S uh, South America and, and wow. Europe doing uh, stage races as well. So anywhere up to seven days in length. So just, um, kind of put all that stuff together to kind of create a good, um, you know, coaching repertoire for, for athletes today. Um, you know, that I encounter along the way that won't help. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Um, so that race, the stage racing, kind of like the BC bike race type stuff where you do a day and then camp and then do another day. 
um, <clears throat> that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. The stage racing was always set up as a, a set distance for the day with, uh, you know, planned rest and recovery, um, which is very, very different than, you know, kind of the, the bike pack scenario um, where, you know, each day, every kind of second counts. So you're, you're kind of always at the limit and then, right. um, you know, you hit the finish line and then you go into recovery mode, um, which is very, very different than bike packing. You know, it's a whole different pacing, um, you know, self-supported and, um, you know, any downtime or recovery is essentially like you're going backwards. So, um, yeah, di- different, uh, different ball of wax there, but, uh, definitely taught me a lot of the, uh, the skills needed to, to kind of do either or. Right. So your company is? Uh, Cycling101.com is uh, how it can be found on uh, online. Um, and it's uh, mainly geared around uh, coaching, uh, instructing, and a little bit of guiding uh, as well. So. Cool. So so if I were to come to you as a client, um, walk me through that process of um, finding the right program for, for me. Yeah, that, that's a... That's a really good one because it's always in refinement. Um, kind of the latest rendition of, of how I uh, go about, you know, uh, introducing myself to clients and clients introducing themselves to me is, is more or less like a meet and greet process. And, uh, you know, just making sure that we're a good fit for each other. Uh, I've come up with over the years uh, what I call the, the 10 pillars of um of commitment, uh, if you're going to do something in uh, in, a, in an athletic way, um, you know you need to be spending kind of 10% of your time in each of these 10 realms to, to equal 100%. Um, that'll give you kind of the best, you know, uh, big picture slash uh, uh, you know uh, biggest gains, if you will, as a as an athlete, but also just as a human and, 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 uh, you know, overall growth. So kind of go through all of that with, with an athlete, um, see if they're on the same page as far as, um, the philosophies. Um, you know, my, my biggest thing is that I can, uh, I I can make you fit at the expense of your health, um, or I can make you healthy and, uh, therefore you'll just end up being fit. And they're two very, very different approaches, mm-hmm. you know, getting, getting fit at the expense of your emotional health, your physical health, family health, work health, um, all of that. I always use the, uh, the analogy of the, you know, everybody knows someone who's trained for a year for Ironman and, right. you know, they have some very choice words for that individual, whether they're a <laughs> so spouse your, or your whatever. Approach, yeah. Your approach is more organic then. It's kind of like. You know, I come to you as, you know, an older guy, a dad who doesn't have enough time. You'll kind of focus, maybe focus that workout or sorry, focus the program based on the individual's lifestyle. Yeah, the individual's lifestyle and also where they are as far as knowledge. I mean, I I think a lot of people think they can buy their way to Mm. uh, health or wellness. And, you know, you really can't. It's a it's a very day to day organic kind of process. uh, process that you live. And if you think that there's someone out there that can shortcut you, um, you know, and get you there really, really quick, you're, you're, you, you know, I think you're, you're kind of mistaken a little bit. I mean, you have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to, um, you know, just be open-minded about your shortcomings and about the areas of your life that you can improve upon. If you don't come into it with an open mind and see that there's 
gaps and holes that you can fill with, with, you know, very specific things. I think it, that having a coach is a tough thing. I mean, being coachable is something that I, mm. a term that I use, you yeah, know, quite often sure. with athletes and, you know, and when I ask the people like, are you coachable? And, you know, most people will respond yes, but it's when, uh, you know, those first activity or, or, you know, logs or journals or whatever are due, you know, a couple of weeks in that, um, you really start to see that some people aren't coachable because they'll bend the truth or outright lie or, you know, lie to themselves. And that doesn't give a coach very much material to work with as far as accountability and, um, helping make changes. And, you know, I look at my coaching style and philosophy is, you know, a lot like, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a lawyer, you know, like the, I have a level of, of privacy and, and protection of my athletes and, and their information, um, you know, personally that I, I, I pride myself in because I don't believe that it's, you know, anyone else's, um, you know, right to know about, you know, people's personal stuff. And, and if people are going to divulge that to me, that I, I keep that close to my heart and I, I try and help them, um, you know, make the, the appropriate changes, um, you know, to, to uh, to be the best version of themselves based on that trust that you're building do you find that people open up to you a lot more about stuff and challenges they have in their life or yeah definitely i think most endurance athletes the reason they get into endurance sport isn't because you know their life is rosy and and they're just bored and they're looking for something to do Mm. i think most of the time there's there's maybe it's demons maybe it's you know, self-worth, it, it could be anything, you know, just looking for change, looking for, uh, you know, just looking for something and something deeper. And I always try and find out what that root cause is and, and why people are, are, um, are seeking this out. So that's always one of the biggest questions, you know, when someone's like, oh, I want to hire you as a coach. And I think that this would be really great. You know, I've heard you can, you know, help me with all these different aspects. And one of my first questions is like, why do you want to do it? Mm. And the, the answers vary. Um, but it's when people become vulnerable and, and truthful about the reasons why they're doing it is when I think that they, they commit harder. And, and when I know why they're doing it, I, I commit myself to the process um, at the same level. And when the athlete and the coach are committed at the same level, um, ultimately friendships um, will, will rise. Um, and, and that's kind of just, it's a, just a byproduct. Like I don't ever come into a coaching relationship thinking like, Oh, this guy's going to be my new best friend or, you know, this, right. you know, <laughs> this, this gal is going to, you know, change my life forever. I, I always think, um, that, yeah, I, I'm a coach and, you know, I'm going to help them through whatever it is. They'll allow me to help them through. Um, and then if they go deep and you go deep with them, uh, ultimately there's that trust and the trust, you know, leads to a pretty profound friendship, um, that, that can last a, a you know, a, a very, very long time. Um, so, yeah, that's just the, you know, a byproduct of it that, um, you know, kind of, kind of happens when, you know, you mesh up athlete and coach, you know, and the right, you know, the, the right, and the timing's right. So there must be sometimes where the mesh isn't there. Do, have you ever had to kind of like end the relationship, break up with your athlete? Sorry, yeah. It's yeah. Not, it's not, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. You know, to be quite honest, like, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me is accountability and, you know, I think that if someone's going to lie or someone's not going to tell the truth or someone's not going to find your time valuable and be accountable to that time, um, I, you know, I, I kind of, 
you know, give people that 90 day window of like, okay, like this is the system. This is how we're going to work it. The more information and feedback you give me, the, the more I can give you. And then this relationship grows and then we, we work through it together. Um, and when that doesn't happen, then yeah, I think the relationship needs to be ended sooner than later because I, I don't coach for the financial end of it. Mm. I, I really coach for the, the intrinsic, um, and to things like helping someone achieve their goal is way more rewarding than taking their money. Yeah. Um, and I try and cut those relationships, um, you know, short because I don't want to waste people's money or, or their time. And, you know, I don't want to waste my time either when they don't see it, um, you know, as being as valuable, um, to them as it is to me. So yeah, I really, um, yeah, try and try and nip those in the bud pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> so, Obviously, you know, that's obviously important. It sounds like you're, you generate a, or you, you, you create a relationship with this, with this athlete. And then what's the next step? Do you, do you talk about, um, strength and conditioning first, or do you kind of focus on nutrition first? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think for everyone, it starts in a different place. Um, we end up doing an evaluation, uh, that's verbal and typically ride with, with the individuals or, or perform whatever activity it is and see where some of their shortcomings are. And, and if an athlete is buying in and they're being truthful and you have them give you a list of their weaknesses or what they perceive as their weaknesses and you pair those with what you know are their weaknesses, um, and then also identifying their strengths and then, uh, working kind of backwards from there. I mean, if we continue to work on someone's strengths, the margin of gain is very, very small. You have to put in a lot of time um, in your into your strength to make it even better. Whereas if you pick up, you know, the pieces of uh, of a bunch of weaknesses, you can make some very substantial, you know, five, 10, 15, 20% gains really, really quickly. So I, I always think that, you know, people come into these, these athlete coach relationships where they are looking to make gains. So when you identify that a weakness is a prime opportunity to make a gain, um, you know, athletes, you know, in a roundabout way, will let you know what those are, but you know, they don't want to have that as a chink in their armor and, and kind of say like, yeah, I'm weak. You know, no one wants to admit weakness, but, no. but we all, we all have them. And totally. so yeah, once we get past kind of the smoke and mirrors, <laughs> then right. we can start to focus in on what, um, on what we can do with those, with those weaknesses. And, um, they, they really vary. So, you know, lifestyle, I think is a big one. We address first and foremost, um, you know, time commitments to work, time commitments to family, um, how much people sleep, typically mm, what they eat. Sleep's huge. Yeah, really is. And then once we kind of painted a picture of like what all those extraneous things look like, then we can start to slowly bring in some of the key principles of, of training, um, you know, aerobic base training and, you know, uh, polarized training model is, is one that I work with mainly with endurance athletes because, you know, the 80, 20 or 90, 10 kind of principle works for, you know, anyone in endurance. Um, can you talk more about that? What do, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, 80, 20 or 90, 10, however, polarized model, uh, just meaning that 80% or 90% of your time is spent in your, your maximum aerobic function, uh, zone uh, of, of your heart rate. And then, um, 10 to 20% is uh, spent uh, at intensity. And that's typically measured over a week or a month, um, uh, in time. And, uh, what that really does is helps, um, the intensity be supported by a wider base of, 
uh, aerobic foundation. And when, when people adhere to that, they see that the intensity that they're doing is very well supported and has uh, more substantial gains. And with the 80-20 or 90-10 principle, um, you're always looking at a system that's going to allow active recovery um, and a, a lot more recovery from the bigger oxidative stresses that you get from, from high intensity um, training. So, um, yeah, we, we typically will start, you know, down that path and we'll see how their body uh, reacts and functions. And then typically we'll, we'll also look at stuff like, um, functional movement and making sure that, that they're moving properly in different planes. Um, from there we'll start working on maybe a little bit of strength, uh, or corrective stuff for maybe bad uh, movement patterns. And, uh, from there we start layering in a little bit of intensity and, um, you know, getting closer to events. Then we start working more specificity where let's say someone is doing a race that involves, you know, many, many mountain passes, you know, thousands of feet of climbing, um, you know, in a day we would be working more in that last kind of six to eight weeks at trying to get them to, you know, repeat those very specific, um, demands and, um, you know, then, then come race, uh, you know, a week or two before the race, you know, kind of a tapering phase and, and kind of getting them to peak, um, you know, for whatever select event they have. So in, um, near, like say the last two weeks before a race, are you encouraging athletes to, to rest totally, or are they kind of on a really low level, um, training program? everyone's going to be different. Right. Um, I have some masters level athletes that, you know, they need a lot of rest, um, and recovery. But the problem is, is they're like diesel engines and it takes them, mm. you know, it, it takes a lot of stimulus to kind of wake them up and you, right. you don't want them to wake up like a day or two. You don't want to cool them down. <laughs> no. So you have to, you have to just throw the right amount of stimulus in. And, you know, there's so many ways to, to measure that. Um, you know, one of my favorite, um, you know, methods with athletes that, that have lower body awareness is to use HRV, um, heart rate variability to monitor them and to give them the right amount of stimulus, um, to kind of keep them on, on a, on a path that's, um, going to allow them to perform optimally or, or close to optimally. You don't want them to be uh, under-trained or over-trained, so you kind of can use that as a, as a guideline. I'm a really, really big fan of, of PLE, like just perceived level of exertion, because all these extraneous factors, environmental and family and friends and work, they all play differently on us on different days. Um, you know, and, and if, you know, the last two weeks coming into an event, if an athlete is overwhelmed with life stresses, you have to keep the volume and the intensity, you know, fairly minimum so that they can, you know, perform when, when the day comes. And then if for some reason, you know, they're completely isolated, uh, from stress because of, you know, the fact they own their own business and they can, you know, take a set time off and, you know, they've had family that's, you know, gone on vacation and, you know, they're alone in a home and they're kind of going squirrely, you know, yeah. then you have to add that stimulus just to make sure that, um, yeah, that they're not going to, um, waste the, the stimulus on maybe cleaning the house or, you know, washing the car or doing these other things that, that, that could, you know, uh, deter from, you know, from their, uh, from, from their end goal. I thought it would kind of be the opposite where if you had someone who was uh, undergoing a lot of life stress or work stress, they may want to get them out more 
or if you can, if they can afford the time, because you know we, we talked about it earlier. It's it's like you know you got to get the demons out. I mean, that was the way that we used to think about. Oh, it's such a stressful day. I need to go blow off some steam. Um, stress is stress is stress is how you know we look at it as as coaches. And if someone's had a very stressful day at work and a stressful day in family life, the last thing they should be doing is putting more stress on their body on the bike because that's three forms of stress versus two. They should be taking that time to recharge their batteries so that the next bout of physical activity or the next stress that comes in from life or family or or whatever it might be, that they're better equipped for it. If you go out on a ride and you blow your brains out um, figuratively, um, uh, you know, you come back, you're less equipped to, to deal with those stresses of your, your work day and your family mm-hmm. life and those things. Cause you just have less energy. Um, you've run your cortisol up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, we, we, we always need to be in the know of like what stresses are, are on the, the individual athlete and then make adjustments accordingly. It's like HRV does a really good job of measuring stress as a whole. And, when people have had a really stressful day at work and then a stressful day at home and maybe there's something, you know, going on in their life that's, that's traumatic, their HRV will, will, will measure very poorly. And when that happens, they know to stay off of their bike or, or out of the gym or whatever it is, they might want to do something passive like range of motion or flexibility or something to still be in the game mentally, but understanding that that rest and, and, uh, recovery and reflection is going to be of greater value to them, not only as an athlete, but, but just as, as a human being on the, on a journey to be in the best version of themselves kind of thing. Um, so to segue into the, uh, I call it my daily accountability list. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just sharing that with you earlier. And um, the daily accountability list is is something that's continuously evolving. It's it's a couple of years in, and really what it stems from is like a lot of self help books, yeah. <laughs> podcasts, <laughs> and like all these gurus and 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 you know mindful people that have said all you have to do is this one little thing every day and, and you'll, you know, the life, your life will change. And there's so many things that as an individual, I want to make sure that I'm checking off my list every day. And so my list, I have 25, um, things every day that I either score myself a zero, which means I didn't do it or wasn't very good at it. Um, or I score myself a one because I put a valiant attempt into it, whether it's conscious or subconscious, Mm -hmm. I still like I score it um, and then I tally it every day and it'll give me a score between zero and 25 and some really cool patterns have emerged from uh, doing this daily accountability and um, I haven't really shared it with a whole lot of people. I think maybe like two or three people kind of even know that I do this. Are you cool sharing it? Yeah. With everybody? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm cool with, with sharing it because I, I understand the value and I think maybe this could be a tool that, that other people develop for themselves because I think in today's society, we, we have so many external pressures from, you know, our families, our friends, our, our jobs, our, ourselves, our, our own desires and goals. And, you know, sometimes we really get lost, um, in trying to 
be everything to everyone. Um, Balance. Yeah. And and so I score myself every day and and it's not that I, I overly scrutinize, but you know, with a couple of years worth of these scores, I I can kind of see some trends. And the one that I was sharing with you today, you know, that I thought was kind of interesting was like, um, a couple of the categories I have are like having fun, uh, having an adventure, um, relaxing and reflecting, um, you know, all these things that kind of would fall into like, you know, gratitude and, um, you know, just, you know, a bunch of different categories. Um, I have some bad habits in there that I score too, that I would make sure that I don't want, you know, to get out of control and, um, things that I personally want to work on for personal growth that I, I, I score myself so that I can see that I'm really not making, or I am making an effort towards, you know, being a better person in that, in that realm. And, um, when I go off and I mean like the backcountry, for instance, which I do fairly often, um, I score really, really low and it's like, uh, you know, I can check off the boxes of like, have fun, have an adventure, relax and reflect. Um, and maybe some like low intensity training, you know, check off that box. But the majority of everything else, um, gets zeros and all those other things are really, really important to me. But I know that when I score a three or a four or a five, because of an extraneous circumstance, like being in the backcountry. I know that I'm taking a break from being all those things to all those other people in my life. Um, so that when I come back from that place, I can be a better person and, um, you know, score myself in those, in those boxes. Like it's like a recharge and, um, it's 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 not really a low score. It's actually, it's a low score, but it's such a beneficial score. You know what I mean? Like you, if you don't score those low days, you're not going to have a high day because you're just going to be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. For, for choice of better words, for sure. Yeah. I mean, right? yeah th- th- you know, days that are, that score between three and five are typically followed by like 19s and 21s and right. 22s. Um, That's good. Box. That's actually a good reflection yeah. of how that list works. Yeah. Right. So, and and I, I didn't really take that into consideration when I created the list. So, you know, I was like six or eight months in and started seeing these low scores and, you know, cross-referencing the dates with like calendars and stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it could be being selfish or it could be like, you know, that, that battery recharge or however it may, you know, might be. Um, but I really found it to be interesting to look at the trends and to see, you know, still over time, I've got a few categories that I'm like, I really need to work on this. Like this is like self-improvement stuff. And, um, you know, I still get a lot of zeros in them and it's a constant reminder. Like I'm my own harshest critic and I've known that for years, but this is just another, like, you know, every time I have to put a zero in those columns, it's like another kind of like punch in the ribs. Really? Like, I, yeah. I don't think you should consider it that way. I, I think that's a really interesting growth tool to use. I, I, I'd like you to send me that list. Yeah. Maybe tweak it for, for me. Cause I know that that's been a goal for me for 2019 is, is self-improvement. I listen to all the same people probably you do on those podcasts. Do you, do you do a vision board? No, I, I, I don't do a vision board. I mean, the, the daily accountability thing I think is, is a, is a really, it's a powerful tool. And I tweaked it from like year one to year two. And then 2019 I've tweaked it again, just because new things in life have surfaced 
that I want to improve upon and um, new things, um, you know, being a small business owner um, and stuff like, you know, you never really thought about like accounting in the same <laughs> same light as, awesome. as you did when you were collecting a paycheck versus being a small business yes. owner. And, you know, my wife's got a small business too. So, oh, you know, it, it, it has to be, you know, you know, one of those things that you're always working on. And, um, you know, so I have some, you know, some refined 2019 goals, but I do think it's a very personal mm, um, list, but, you know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to, you know, to share some of the categories that I've, I've kind of, you know, put out there, um, you know, for myself. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, people who journal or people who have, you know, um, you know, daily practices, whether it's meditation mm. or whatever it might be, um, you know, really, I think that they find, they find a, a, a new piece of themselves or like a place in a space that they feel safe every day where they can kind of reflect on themselves. And I, I've never really taken to meditation or, or journaling or gratitude journaling or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. And this was just kind of my way of like going, you know, I need the accountability. I want the accountability. I want to see improvement. I want to see growth, you know, and there's no tool out there that I, that I found like really, you know, worked for me. So I created my own based on, Based on you being a coach and being super analytical, right? Yeah. So that's basically you are journaling in a way. Yeah. You're just doing it binary, in a binary way. Like, did yeah. I do this? Yes or no. You know, love and gratitude. Yes or no. No, did I do my high intensity? Yes or no. I mean, I, I think that's valuable. Yeah. And it's more, it's more qualitative versus quantitative, but then getting the score gives you the quantitative. So it's a mix of, of both, right. which is kind of what I like. I like the, the analytics of the scoring, but I also like the fact that like, you know, some of the categories are, are fairly trivial, right? And, and it's like, you know, did you listen to someone today? Yeah. And it's like, you know, some days I'm like, well, I listened to the dog ring the bell to go outside the <laughs> and I let him out. So I did listen to someone, right? Um, because, you know, just home alone all day. But um, then there's other times where it's like, yeah, I listened to someone. I had a very... Um, you know, important phone call with an individual from this group that I'm part of that wanted to share with me their perspective on this. And I listened. And because I was a good listener, I was capable of giving them some really valuable feedback, um, you know, on their business or, right. or whatever it was. And so you probably learned something by listening. I mean, we tend to, I heard this quote once where it's like we, we tend in a conversation such as this even, so we spend more time thinking about what we're going to say next rather than listen to what the other person's actually saying. So that's a huge thing. And as a coach, you need to listen, deeply listen to what these people are telling you, right? Yeah, you, you really do. And I think it's a maturity thing is as you, the older you get, you ask more questions and, and give less advice. Right. And for the athlete to hear themselves posing the question is sometimes enough for them to get the answer. And, it, it's, I think it's from a coaching perspective, you need to find out if someone's intrinsically or extrinsically motivated. And if they're intrinsically motivated, the more questions you ask them, the more questions or the more answers they'll get. Right. Whereas if they're extrinsically motivated, sometimes, you know, you have to ask them the question and provide the answer. But um, m most endurance athletes tend 
to to be be intrinsic so it's it's kind of always like that default path um, cool. typically yeah i like that we've covered a big aspect of mental in, in terms of coaching an athlete to be to be better athlete it's mental right it's huge can we rewind it back a little bit sure so hrv heart rate variability yeah are you do you um are your athletes wearing using wearables wearables are huge right now there's rings there's mm-hmm. you know watches um do you <clears throat> So it's not a prerequisite. I mean, what I like about HRV is that it gives you some insights into what the athlete's body, how the athlete's body is responding before they even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I like to use it with athletes who have very low body awareness. So we've got kind of like an anecdotal story of, of an athlete that I've worked with in the past who um, had very little body awareness and would just literally do the workout and, you know, whatever the outcome was, the outcome was didn't really um, score themselves on the outcome, but scored themselves on um, the accomplishment. And that's where, you know, holding them back was really tough and giving them less of a workload was really tough because they really valued uh, time and intensity and, and, and that, uh, that sense of accomplishment, that checking of the to-do list. So um, giving them that HRV tool for, for about a year to, have them see what those individual workouts were doing to their HRV and how long it was taking for them to recover before they could go back at another bout of, you know, uh, you know, long, slow distance or intensity, uh, really woke them up and started giving them more of a sense of what their perceived level of exertion was and body awareness. And then after about a year, um, we found that the tool, um, wasn't needed anymore. And, and it was mainly because we had found the balance of that 80-20. We had found the seasonal highs and lows that, that we needed to follow. And the athlete became more intuitive, you know, because of using the wearables. It was that qualitative and quantitative that kind of came together in the middle and, and to, to create that higher level of awareness. Right. So that's where I really see that as being um, very valuable. Um, I've done some cor- courses on, on HRV and um, it, it's very, very powerful, um, you know, uh, but still a very new science in the sense of understanding, you know, what fluctuations should be, um, expected during high intensity right. and, uh, you know, low intensity and, and what recovery rates and stuff are. Um, personally myself, I've, I've used it for a very long time to not create highs and lows to become, uh, better like undertrained and overtrained or, or uh, hypercompensation uh, what i've used it for is consistency so i really look at looked at hrv as like i'm gonna try and score high every single day by having balance in my life by eating right by sleeping lots by by not overdoing intensity by not overdoing you know time or, or distance I want to always be healthy and ready to come off the couch for whatever comes my way, whether it's a, you know, a, a clinic that I have to do, whether it's a, a race that I'm doing with a, a client, whether it's travel, um, whatever the demands of my everyday life are, I always just want to be ready. And yeah. so that's where I found value for me. And I think everyone's going to find, you know, very different, um, uh, values in, in, in HRV and what it can do for them. So, so do, you, do you use uh, HRV in, uh, in combination with uh, training using power? Like, 
can you use those at the same time or is it kind of one or the other or is it no i mean uh, <laughs> what we've really discovered like uh at training peaks is kind of one of the the um the programs that i have most of my athletes on um for for data recording and then i get to see everything log into their accounts and, and get to see it oh, yeah. so power heart rate um hrv uh, PLE, perceived level of exertion, um, all of those things can all be integrated. Um, you know, hours of sleep, you know, how they felt, you know, happy face, you know, <laughs> happy face, not so happy face, angry face. Um, you know, all of these things are, are all pieces of the puzzle and one of them is not more valuable than the other. What they are is their validation of, of what's going on. So when you start to look at trends and that's really what the data is like, you're looking to see if someone is trending into the overtraining patterns or if they're trending upwards and getting better. Um, you know, I've had some athletes that are trending very, very, very slowly upwards, but are just so happy. And they're taking so much out of the nutritional end and they're right. sleeping better and the relationship with their, their spouse is better. Success. And their, yeah, awesome. their, their, their kids are just like, Oh my God, you know, you've got so much energy. We, we love being around you. Yeah. And so like the lifestyle, uh, you know, has, has taken these leaps and bounds and, and then their, uh, um, you know, uh, athletic ability, if you will, or, or their pursuit of their goals is getting closer, um, at a slower pace or increment but now they have cheerleaders um on their side right. and they're not they're not fighting it right they're not going against the grain and there's less extraneous stress sources coming at them and it's like you know i, I had had a client i worked with where it was like you know i can't believe i was doing like 20 hours a week of training with this online program because uh -huh. this is what it said to accomplish this and now with you i'm doing 10 to 12 hours and my wife's like where did we get this extra eight hours of getting you um you know from and, and she's on board now and she's helping with you know making energy smoothies in the morning right. and making sure that i've got always nutritious stuff to take to work and you know um, she sees that I contribute more around the house and before I didn't want to lift heavy things or walk up the stairs because I was so burnt out from workouts. And now I'm like, any time I can do something extra to help out, I'm there because I've got the, the energy to do it. And I'm incorporating all of these, you know, contributions around the house and, and doing things as part of my, my healthy lifestyle which contributes to the the healthy outcome of, of the training and, and achieving the goals there's so many layers to it i think when i was training for stuff i was always over training i tended to because I, I was kind of a short track guy so i'd go riding my bike and I, i'd have two hours and i'd hammer i'd go so hard and then the how we kind of first met that we had that conversation on the phone and, was, and i i told you i'm super busy this is the kind of time I have. This is what I'm doing. So I told you that I was trying to do two rides a week. I was trying to get uh, like a 100K ride in, and then I was trying to get a single speed ride in. And the single speed ride could be whatever, short track or 30, 50K. And you just said, yeah, that's awesome. You're just like, yeah, that's good, man. Like you're getting out for the distance. So you're working on your long, slow distance. And then you're getting out on your, your trail bike and you're working on your, your core and your, your strength doing that. And before I would just go out and I would I would destroy myself. And then I'd come home, I'd be sore, I'd be tired, I'd be crampy. And I think I got way more benefit out of uh like what you just said. It's like I was overtraining. I think I was just hitting it too hard. Yeah, you can you can do it with ever with whatever time you have <clears throat> available as long as you're 
as long as everything else is in line with that. I mean, if you're if you're doing a hundred kilometer day and a fifty kilometer day, that's one hundred fifty for the week, and you know, there, you know, like you're saying, a single speed, you know, it's it's muscularly taxing. You're out of the saddle, standing. You're working your core. You're working your arms. I think all of that is is really great. It's one component, and then the second component being, you know, you got your long your your LSD days, um, which are great, and then you've got a bunch of recovery. Um, as long as your expectations are in line with that time commitment, I think everything's good. Um, when you're off the bike, if you're spending good quality time uh, sleeping, uh, you're really focused on you know uh, you know the nutritional end of things and, and making sure that your choices uh, not for just days that you're going to ride, but every day are as you know as, as clean as you possibly can based on the the philosophy or or. or parameters you've chosen in your household to to abide by um you know as long as you know you're, you're checking those boxes um you know working on the the mental end of of it by um you know maybe doing some visualization or whatever yeah, it yeah. might be um and mobility know. like we talked about earlier it's like instead of sitting on the couch watching tv on those night those days or nights where you're not riding it's like well you can still get a workout in you can lay on the floor and roll out your body or do some mobility stuff or yeah. maybe do a little bit of yoga so even stuff that's super, what some might think is super low intensity is so beneficial because if your machine is not tuned like i mean mechanically tuned mm-hmm. uh you're not even if you've got like a, a formula one race car engine in your chest if your machine's busted then it's nothing right so yeah it's the it, it becomes about you know the small details and you know the 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 british cycling association um and, and team sky they, they they had this principle of marginal gains and it was like you know they had protocol for everything and it was very similar to you know making making wise choices all the time more so than not um you know if you're sitting you know in a in the living room with your family, if you're, you know, if you've got a foam roller and a yoga mat there, you know, you, you know, 10, 20 minutes, 50 minutes, half an hour, whatever it is of rolling out, finding those sore spots can then open the door to having a better workout and maybe being pain free, pain free for your sleep. So your sleep quality that night is great. And then the next day's workout or, or next adventure you go on, that's not an accumulative, you know, thing that you're dealing with. And, um, you know, just, just always thinking, in the light of like whatever decisions I make um, today will reflect on, you know, how, you know, the, the outcome tomorrow. And I'm, I'm a very firm believer that, you know, no one's perfect. And, you know, I, I like the 80, 20 principle there in life too. It's like if 80% of the decisions you make are in favor of your end goal, which could be being the best version of you could be just being really, you know, as healthy as you possibly can, uh, could be, you know, riding the AR 700. It could be, um, you know, riding the, the tour divide could be any one of those things. You're going to be that much closer to, to achieving your goal mm-hmm. when you kind of have that approach and it's, and it's on the forefront of your brain and you're, you're just conscious of it. And I think if you do it and I'm, I'm not saying that I do it, I'm guilty of, being a slacker for sure. But if you just say to yourself, I'm just going to lay down for 10 minutes and, and, and do this, even if it's just 10 minutes to stretch or to roll or whatever, mm-hmm. when you're done that, you can say, I did that, right? Like your list of 25 points. Yeah. I did some mobility work today. Exactly. And, you know, what do you do something for two weeks straight? It'll become a habit. 
Yeah. And that's a pretty awesome habit, right? To sit down and, and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, I, I've, I've looked at that in, in so many different ways. I mean, I worked with an athlete for probably oh, eight or nine years, um, and, and he commuted every day to and from work. And his commute to work was three and a half kilometers, and his commute home was three and a half kilometers. To the average person, seven kilometers a day on a bike would be, right? Like to, to a bike, you know, pack racer or, or an ultra endurance uh, athlete, it's sort of like, okay, big deal. That's up fast. It's seven kilometers, <laughs> five days a week yeah. for 50 weeks out of 52 of the year because of Christmas and New Year's, whatever, um, you know, maybe holidays. Like, you know, there's some serious uh, base that's there and it's all done at low intensity and yeah. it's all done with a backpack on and it's mm-hmm. all done on a subpar bike and it's all done in the rain and in the snow and all adversity, of these yeah, adversity sure. that, that test your mental fortitude and te- test whether or not you're going to get out the door and test, you know, your gear and, and, you know, all of these things. And this is this accumulative, you know, marginal gains that over time lead to, you know, uh, so much more. Yeah. And, and I really think that that's, um, you know, a, a, a valuable, um, you know, uh, observation that I, that I had a number of years ago and, um, kind of a- adopted that myself, um, you know, in, in so many ways. Do you, um, so we've talked a bit about mobility strength. Do you do any, do you do weights? Do you do any weight training? Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, um, an, an interesting topic. Um, I'm, I'm really big on range of motion, flexibility, uh, you know, kind of positive movement patterns. I've been really, really fortunate. I'm, I'm 40 now and I haven't had any major, um, bodily issues. I haven't had any like, uh, you know, pins or, you know, major broken bones or replacements or, or anything like that or chronic, um, injuries. And I, I really think that a lot of that stems from early on as an athlete at 12 years old, we were really shown how to focus in on our core stability and range of motion and flexibility. And I've always kept that up to some degree, some, some weeks, months, years, less than others. Um, but, uh, in the last kind of 24 months, I've really found that it's becoming more important as we get older, for sure, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, so actually, on my daily accountability list, um, you know, uh, positive movement patterns uh, uh, are on there. Strength, range of motion, flexibility, intensity, and and uh, math are all in there as five separate entities because I like to track to see how how much I do. Um, and I try and do positive uh, movement patterns every single day, um, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes, um, I, I try every day to check that box because I know that the accumulation will be valuable. Some days I spend an hour and a half, two hours doing it just awesome. because, you know, of a, of a, maybe something that I did, um, you know, that, that requires that, you know, in the aftermath of, um, or if it's really, really cold out, I might, you know, choose to do something, you know, in, in the house that's, uh, that's geared around that. And then as far as strength goes, um, just more recently, more into um, a, a little bit of kettlebell work. Um, you know, nothing too crazy. Just a, a few basic moves that I know through um, 
just body awareness. I have some weaknesses that I'm trying to address. And so, you know, not doing anything that's full body, not doing anything to exhaustion, you know, right. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not hashtagging anything to do with my weight, <laughs> weight workouts, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just really working on those, those small details, you know, marginal gains kind of once again, and, and really finding that it's, that it's paying off, um, takes a lot longer to time of fatigue on the bike and, um, don't have, uh, you know, the, the same kind of, you know, minor tweaks that, you know, kind of, uh, ale, ale a rider who's always in that kind of same, same. Yeah. Plane. I started, um, my commute to work used to be a lot longer. It was like that 4k, like 4k, both like 8k a day commuting kind of thing. I, I'm closer to my home now. So I walk and, and, uh, I find it really beneficial actually to get off the bike and walk just just moving your hips in a different plane because i we talked about it earlier how i'm pretty messed up in my hips and the walking is not really helping it that much but i think it's helping a little bit just just to move in a different way so yeah i think that's important that's that was a good uh segment i'd like to i think it's we're getting into nutrition now and this is this is (laughs) this is the rabbit hole one i think that a lot of people are probably waiting to talk about because lately i mean you and i probably listen to a lot of the same podcasts about nutrition and we hear about keto and paleo and plant-based and carnivore and we hear about all these different eating styles but from what i've what i've taken out of it all is that we've been we've been deceived about <laughs> what we should be eating do you do you feel that way uh i mean yeah i mean if 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 you want to go down the political um you know uh how do you want to call it? the North American, uh, you know, way that, that, that food has been delivered to, to the end user over the last, you know, 50 years. Yeah. There's, there's been definitely some misinformation and misguidance from, you know, government entities and, um, you know, uh, very unsupported scientific research and documents and, and stuff that's recently come to light. Um, you know, I, I personally, think we're at a really big crossroads in the health and health and fitness uh, realm right now because there's so many um, bandwagons that you can jump on and and it's so religious and it's like a religion yeah it, it really is and I mean you know what I did I mean I'll, I'll, I'll rewind here to like 97 98 99 ish. Um, you know, there were some books that came out, you know, like the zone diet and then there was eat right for your blood type. And, um, you know, fat wars was another, um, book that came out by, a, a you know, by a, a nutritionist and, you know, there was all these different concepts and, you know, you, you had to kind of find the common thread of like, you know, what, what are these, what are all these people trying to say and, and, you know, what's working for athletes and what's not working for athletes and what's working for average population and what's not working for average population. And I think, you know, the, the latest research that has been done and what, what's come out with all these different bandwagons that exist is that we're all individuals and we all have different ancestral backgrounds and our DNA is very different and our genetic, you know, makeup and, and, and what we can and can't tolerate, you know, is, is very individual. So we have to figure out a way of, you know, hitting stop on what we're doing, hitting 
a reset button that kind of eliminates the majority of the things you know from our body, um, good and bad, um, you know, and then slowly reintroducing different things to see how our body reacts. So, um, you know, ketogenic diets, for instance, I think have their place. I think that, you know, most of the, you know, people who speak highly of, of ketogenic diets will, will say it's really great to kind of reset hormone balances and kind of hit, hit the reset button so that you can reintroduce stuff slowly, whether it's um, increasing carbohydrate intake or, or, um, you know, reintroducing dairy or small amounts of, of sugar of different types or whatever it might be to see how the body reacts, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and some of it's to do with timing and some of it's, um, you know, I, I think self-exploration and figuring out what it is that you can and can't live with, um, in your diet. And, um, you know, for, for myself, I, eliminated a number of things from from my diet and then slowly reintroduced a few and now i'm i'm understanding that certain things when i put them in my body have a, a negative response and when i i consume them i know that i have to brace myself for the negative consequence <laughs> and then i also have to uh you know make sure that, that that's not that's not repeated um you know anytime soon um it, it's not like it's someone with an allergy to a certain type of food or it's not, um, you know, that, that something's going to kill you. It's just, you know, you're making conscious choices at that 80, 20 kind of principle again, um, that are, you know, you're making 80% of the choices that favor your body's way of, of metabolizing, digesting what it gets out of it as far as, um, you know, energy and nutrients and, and all of those things. And I don't really think that, jumping on any bandwagon is really good for, for anyone at, at any point. I really think it's beneficial for people to explore different options, see how their body feels and then, you know, ad adjust from there, you know, cause you know, something that could make you feel absolutely amazing might make me feel horrible. And, you know, you, you can't be, necessarily preaching you know one thing or another i think the best thing to preach is you know look at your sugar intake look at your carb intake you know look at how much protein and and, and good fats you're getting and look at your micronutrients and you know on the whole nutrition thing a lot of the times it's not even how you choose or what what form of eating you choose. I think it sometimes is more about the timing and how much. Um, so that kind of brings up a whole other avenue of, you know, intermittent fasting, um, uh, training fasted, um, those types of things, uh, which I think probably have the most profound effect. I mean, I've seen it in my own life and, and, and I've seen it with family members who've, you know, just chosen to make one change and I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry, not because it's breakfast, not because it's lunch, not because it's dinner, not yeah. because it's snack time, not because I'm watching a movie, not because I'm, you know, in a social environment, not because it's free, not because, you know, I'm going out for dinner. Um, you know, making that agreement that, that you're only going to eat when you're hungry, um, really changes, um, caloric intake 
and changes your food choices fairly dramatically because you're not craving the sugars of, you know, the highs and lows that you'd normally get. So see, after speaking with you, I I kind of went uh, ketogenic and uh, I I lost a ton of weight really quickly and I was still riding my bike and uh, I, I wasn't as hungry as often. And I think that because you're eating more fat, your, your satiety level is just more consistent. Like I just wasn't really very hungry very often and it was easy to just not eat. Yeah. I I mean, I think that treating food as fuel as opposed to having all the emotional attachment is a really big one. And it's something that I identified very, very, um, very early on in stage racing and in 24 hour racing. And, um, uh, one of the examples was I had an athlete that, um, uh, in, in Canmore, there was a 24 hour race, um, that, that he was doing, he's done it, he had done it in a couple of years and the way a 24 hour uh, uh, race works is you, you start at a start line, uh, and there's also a pitting area there. You go out and you do a loop and then you come back every, uh, lap for, for a, a pit stop. And there was actually a, the course was shaped like a figure eight and you could actually pit in the middle of each lap as well. So the lap was about 18 kilometers long. Okay. So it was like do nine K right. get a little, get a bone, do nine K get a bone. And it was interesting because the emotional roller coaster of like seeing a person who's holding a carrot <laughs> and not a stick, <laughs> right? It's like, Oh, thank you. And then their, their whole, like, their whole psyche changes like they just got into that zone where they're like Um, all right i'm on my lap i got you know i've got 18k to go or whatever you know they're or let's say they're five or ten kilometers in they're like yeah i've got another nine or eight k to go but then it's that thought process and being in the zone is interrupted by this carrot and then they have to restart the whole process again because they go on this like you know endorphin rush kind the whole of whole idea of flow state. They yeah. get into the flow. They get into the flow, and like, then they're pulled out of it by the carrot, and then they have yeah. to try and get back into it. And so, then your your sugar your sugar spikes, and then you crash from that. Or yeah, so the roller coaster emotionally, uh, physically, and and nutritionally is like this like for twenty four straight hours. So what we talked about leading into uh his his last 24-hour event that he did there is i said no pitting at the halfway mark and he was like what What are you talking about like what am i gonna do what am i gonna do i'm like look we've been talking about the flow state and i'm I'm glad you brought that up um it takes a lot of time to get into it and once you're in the flow state we don't want to interrupt it and if you know that i'm not there and that there's no option there it means that you're gonna have 18 kilometers to be in that state and then when you come to me then we'll, you know, we'll give you your care mm-hmm. and then we'll send you back out. We'll put you in the flow state again, which, you know, if we break it up by the amount of you know time you're spending on each lap, you're only going to have to come out of that state this many times versus double. Right. right. Does that not sound better? And, you know, he said, oh, let's give it a try. And uh, it was amazing because he actually uh, managed to do two more laps on the exact same course uh, a year later uh, without kind of that emotional high, low and that roller coaster. Um you know, one year older, but still two laps more. It was uh, it was very eye opening to see how the psychological component kind of played into that. And I think with with bike packing, I, th- I think it's very much the same. And, and I talked to you about this, and I've talked to a number of um, uh, bike packing athletes about the 
gas stations as being these like pleasure centers, right? It's, it's like it might as well have you know <laughs> Ferris wheels and clowns <laughs> and balloons and 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 you know like you just might as well have all that because that's exactly what it is in in everyone's brain and most of the places that are on these remote routes are going to have you know uh, probably some of the least social least interesting individuals <laughs> behind the counter <laughs> offering up you know corn dogs and whatever else um and so when you think about going into this zone i think you know, you get this emotional high and then you, on that high, you make poor choices, you know, um, of selecting a food. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm not a firm believer that like, oh, the engine's burning so hot. I can just throw a whole bunch of crap in no, there. No, right? I, I don't buy into that. No. A Formula One car uses some of the highest, you know, uh, grade fuels to, to get around the racetrack. Yeah. You know, they don't start pouring diesel into <laughs> it or, or kerosene and expect the same results. So, um, you know, the human body is, is definitely going to be the same way. Um, but that emotional component, if you can, you know, bypass those pleasure centers or you can use them for like, all I'm ever getting at the gas stations or the convenience stores is water or it's this, like a predetermined or preset thing in your mind that you will accumulate there that doesn't have the, the pleasure center sort of, uh, associated with it. Could be a huge benefit. And I remember, um, you talking in the podcast with uh, with Katrina um, uh, about um, uh, who was it that uh, uh, you mentioned? Oh, Dean. Dean, yeah, yeah. That, that Dean had you know packed all of his food and you know bypassed all the the stops and stuff. And you know, I think that when you know when you have all of your provisions with you, what it does is it allows you to eat when you want to eat and mm-hmm. need to eat versus you know, almost going into this mental state of like, I can't eat or I can't have what I want until I get to that point and create this, this, this climax, right. you know, this, or this, this anticlimactic kind of uh, scenario that, that really plays with, with your brain. Um, and then, you know, I think that for him, I mean, passing by some of those places, I mean, every second that someone is there and he's yeah. not, it's doubling the time. Totally. It's, he's moving forward and they're yeah. moving backwards essentially. Pretty and, much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a, an, an interesting one with, with the nutrition and, and bike packing. And sometimes, I mean, it's a necessity depending on the length of the race to, to stop. But I think we can always look at stuff like micronutrient, you know, dense foods that can be brought along, um, you know, along the, the ride, like, you know, microgreens, um, you know, like a, that like little, little straws of microgreens that you can get from like, you know, whatever, you know, companies out there or, or just in a Ziploc bag or a little, you know, container. Um, just so that if you are having to make marginal food choices at best in these stops, you're at least topping up on those, you know, good micronutrients that'll, you know, help the body perform, um, you know, optimally, you know, at a cellular level. And, um, you know, really, you know, thinking about that, um, beforehand can be of really great value to, um, you know, to those, you know, biting off these, these, these big efforts. Yeah. I think that, um, the, the requirement, your body's requirement for like, especially glucose, I think is pretty low actually. And you go to a gas station and I don't know how many grams of sugar are in like a Snickers bar, but you eat a Snickers bar and your liver is what it's, Designed, it can, it can hold what 125 grams of 
of glycogen, I think. And you eat a chocolate bar or eat two or eat a bag of Skittles and a chocolate bar and a chocolate milk. And then basically you're going to end up with way too much. Your body's, one, it can't use it. It can't store it. It's in your stomach. It can't shunt it yet until it works its way through your body. And then your body's busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. So digestion is kind of almost low priority. So you stop at these gas stations, the the, the, the circus. <laughs> you go in yeah. and you start pounding all this stuff. And I, I did it, yeah. and I feel like crap. Yeah. You feel like crap, and it, it, like you feel good for a minute, and that's just because you're on that that insulin spike. And then when you come down from that, then you just got you have a, a belly full of sugar. Yeah. And, Once and, the pleasure centers tickled, it's it's kind of downhill from there. <laughs> and you know, I think that's you know. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the way that, um, you know, a sports scientist would probably look at it is, well, let's look at your heart rate and let's do a, you know, blood gas analysis, like with the VO2 max test. Um, you know, most endurance riders are going to be burning, you know, 100% to maybe down as low as 70% of their, their um, uh, fuel at that aerobic pace uh, is all going to be fat. Um, you know, that that is if they're, if, if they've trained well for, for the event they're adapted to that. and they're adapted to it. Um, you know, so when you start looking at that, you know, you don't want to be topping up on, you know, the, the simple sugars. I mean, a complex carbohydrate or something that has a slower burn, um, you know, a baked potato or whatever, you know, could definitely be something to, to take in there. But, um, you know, definitely the simple sugars are going to be, they're going to be burnt up really, really uh, quickly, um, and not provide a whole lot of micronutrient support, you know, to, you know, at a cellular level. So yeah, really watching, um, you know, what, uh, what, what you're intaking on, on those events could definitely, you know, prolong, um, you know, your, your time in the event, like, uh, your healthy time, if you will, right. uh, not, not saying you'll take longer to do it, but just, you know, um, minimize, you know, the, the, the need to, you know, have GI distress or to be pulled over on the side of the road and, 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 uh, you know, and not having a good time with it. And the other component to, you know, having a good portion of your, your calories coming from complex carbohydrates and, and, you know, good healthy fats and a little bit of protein is, you know, what it does for your mental state, you know, that, that mental stability, you know, you're already biting off like this, this big, um, this big endeavor. The last thing you want is to be, you know, riding highs and lows, mm. uh, emotionally. Um, well, there already are highs and lows, but you're, yeah, you're just there, exacerbating yeah, them by putting garbage in that's, your body. That's exactly <laughs> it. And then we also know too, that, that, that that affects decision making, uh, right? So yeah. when you're in a bad headspace, you make bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, when you're in a really good headspace, you think think a lot clearer, um, and that's kind of what eating a little bit cleaner you know, during events like that, and, and having micronutrient support, um, you know, for your brain to to make those decisions. It's not even, you know, there's so many people think of nutrition as like this is the fuel that's like powering the pistons, which are my legs. They don't typically think about it as being the fuel that is keeping their spine erect or that it's, that's keeping their eyes open or, you know, keeping their respiration in check or keeping their mental state and and clarity about, you know, where they are on the, on the road. Um, you know, are they hugging the line or are they way off in the middle or, you know, their, their, uh, you know, auditory perception, you know, is there a car coming or not? I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. I think there's so many aspects that, that scream better nutrition, uh, could definitely help, 
um, you know, in, in so many different aspects, not just the, the powering of the, of the bicycle forward. I think the electrolyte balance is really important too. And that's something that, again, he, I took from you was your, your cells are basically sodium potassium pumps. So if you're not adding sodium potassium back to, back to your body, you're sweating it all out, uh, you're going to have some issues. You're going to have poor cellular function. You're going to start getting cramps. I've heard too, you can get like stiffness between in your fascia, between your muscles if you're, uh, if you're not, uh, if you're out of electrolyte balance. So I think that's important too, not just the nutrition side mm -hmm. of it, but thinking about um, hydration. Yeah. And yeah. Hydration like, and nutrition, I think are, are, are two very separate things. And I've had a, a number of, of different uh, sports nutritionists, uh, you know, that I've worked with in the past who have always said, like, we take hydration is in one bucket, nutrition is in another bucket, mm -hmm. and they need to be 15 minutes apart in consumption oh, minimum. And because we were trying and experimenting with 24-hour racing for the longest time, um, I went to some very extreme lengths to create like what I thought was the only thing you had to consume for 24-hour racing. And it was a it was a drink, and you know if you drank a bottle of this every single lap for 24 hours, you get the calories, you get the, you know, the micronutrients that you needed, you get all the electrolytes, you know, everything was in balance, everything was in check, but, um, they're absorbed differently. Ah. And so the calories and the electrolytes are absorbed slightly differently and they're, it works better if there's a timing gap in between. So, um, you know, it's always been encouraged to eat your food, um, you know, and, and taking your, your fluids, um, you know, with like a 15 minute gap to give them, um, time to go down their respective, uh, you know, paths. It's interesting that you say fluids too, because I, I stopped, like, I don't put water in my bottle anymore. It always has a supplement in it. Cause I find that the one problem I was having when I was overtraining, sweating too much, drinking just water. So not only was I demineralizing, but then I was also diluting whatever else I had left. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, I would carry a bottle of water, and but but I would never actually just drink that water. I would always drink electrolytes. So I'd either have the maple syrup salt thing to give me my potassium sodium, or I'd do a noon tab. I'm kind of addicted to those. I'm not sure what they put in those <laughs> things. But man, uh, I find that when, especially on a, on a ketogenic diet, I think you don't eat a lot of sodium. I don't in, in bring in a lot of sodium. I can feel it. I can feel my, my muscle fatigue. Mm -hmm. I can feel kind of like lack of focus. And if I just take in some electrolyte, it seems to really help. Like, would you recommend that? Well, you know, once again, you know, everyone's very, very different. I mean, I know people who have never cramped in their life. And then I know some people who, I you know, cramp, cramp very, very easily. Oh. Um, so I think everyone's body is very, very different in, in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, you know, electrolyte balances are, are critical, especially in long uh, endurance events, if you're taking stuff like ibuprofen, mm -hmm. um, sometimes you might get like acid reflux, uh, and and you just drink water because a, a, a sodium base uh, or electrolyte drink doesn't cut it, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like you said, you're diluting your bloodstream to have a, a, a mineral content that's lessening every time you drink water, exactly. and then that affects you know the the um, uh, the heart you know, yeah. essentially, right? Yeah. So, you know, your, your heart, you know, beats based on electrical impulse and, and that electrolyte balance in the body, you know, affects the, the heart rate. So, um, uh, you know, you, you have to be very, very conscious uh, of that. One of the things that, that I found with some dietary changes, like, 
um, a lower carbohydrate and, and, you know, lower sugar. I can't say sugar elimination because there's sugar in pretty much everything, but a highly reduced sugar and carbohydrate intake, uh, diet for myself led to actually, um, uh, sweating, sweating less, um, as well as, uh, needing to consume less water because there was less inflammation in the body. So that water tends to serve as like a buffer, I guess, for, for inflammation and, and just, you know, you, you, you tend to have less of that when you make some dietary, um, you know, changes. And that that was just kind of a byproduct of what, of of what I noticed, um, kind of long-term. I think too, I I found that when you overtrain, you, you just drink too much. Right. And you're just constantly drinking water. It actually saves you time. So if you slow down a little bit, you don't have to harvest water so much. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd have bottles last me hours, hours mm-hmm. and hours of riding. And mind you, it wasn't crazy, crazy hot when I was riding. I can imagine if it was like 105 degrees, what it'd be like. Or 40 degrees Celsius and you're trying to stay hydrated and you're trying to keep from sweating and trying not to respirate too much. Yeah, yeah, it would always be a challenge. I mean, you know, regardless if you're if you're at your maximum aerobic function heart rate, you're going to sweat less than if you're twenty or thirty beats above that uh, in forty degree heat. Um, So then your your consumption of fluid and your respiration uh, respiration and perspiration rates are much lower. So I think that you know if if you're capable of of adopting you know some of the principles of you know the the you know, training at a lower heart rate and, you know, eliminating some of those, you know, uh, I can't say negative, I guess just some, some of those dietary things from your, from your, uh, from your reg- regimen that, um, you know, some of those things can, can be beneficial, you know, long-term if you, uh, if you really stick with it. How do people calculate their, uh, MAF? uh, maximum aerobic function, uh, 180 minus your age, uh, give or take a couple of beats, um, depending if you're highly trained or, or um, if you're just starting out, um, really good um, guideline. Uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in kind of the the primal uh, approach. Primal yeah, I was going to ask you what you're eating lifestyle was right now uh well uh you know what it's it's (laughs) it's modified primal (laughs) is really what it is um but the primal kind of principles are you know just you know 80 20 minimizing sugar you know taking down that carb intake um being conscious what you're putting in your body good fats eating when you're hungry uh not because it's a certain time of day you know intermittent fasting um you know just really being conscious um of, of the, the things, you know, the way that I look at it is, you know, food is always going to have a social aspect to it and a certain level of enjoyment. And I don't think I could ever just eat for fuel. I think there has to be a balance. Yeah. The 20% I'm going to eat for the social aspect and, and because it's good and, and, um, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, a few of those basic primal things, you know, I like to keep moving, um, you know, my wife can attest to it. I, I, I don't stop moving um, be, because it's, you know, it, it just feels right to be lifting things and moving things. Moving and, water don't freeze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I adhere to a few of those things. I, I don't do anything to that, like, OCD level. Um, I, I just couldn't. <laughs> I think it's kind of valuable to be a bit OCD when you first do it because you know, we talked about eliminating foods, right? So if you, if you say, you know what, I'm going to go for this higher fat 
lower carb approach, if you, if you can do it and be super militant about doing that for, for a month, one, one, two, three months, um, and then really feel, uh, you know, what does your body feel like? You, I think I, most people would probably find it feels pretty good. Yeah. You know? I, I do agree with, with when you are going into that, um, that phase of self-discovery, you know, you're, you're, you're really trying to eliminate as much as you can and, and figure out what's working and what's not working for your body. So I do, I do agree with that, you know, at least that first 90 days. I mean, I, I think I went probably more like nine months, um, on that route and then slowly started bringing stuff back. Um, cause I was seeing, some very dramatic changes to my physiology, uh, to my emotional state, my, my like overall mood, uh, energy, everything sleep. was, was sleep. Uh, sleep. I, I've always been a good sleeper. Oh, yeah. so, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I slept anymore, I mean, sleeping is like, yeah, oh, it's yeah. so good. Um, but if I was, you know, like because I was seeing such tangibles, I wanted to see how far it would go. And then I really saw it plateau and, you know, it was everything from, you know, going down, you know, a size in, in wardrobe for me. Um, you, you're not a big guy either. No, I'm, I'm not. I mean, when I tell people what, you know, what I was weighing when I started and what I weigh now, I mean, I think a lot of people are like, well, where, where were you hiding that? But it's just, it, it's kind of all over. And I mean, even my wife will look at pictures from, you know, two years ago and be like, who is that guy? So like, what we can, how much did you weigh when you first started all this? Uh, so when I first started out, um, like the first time I got on the scale and kind of decided to make the change, um, I was 177 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I just kind of did it as a novelty thing. I was just like, well, let's just see where I'm at. Like I have a scale, why not? Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I kind of stabilized, um, a number of months back at, at about 147. Oh, wow. So, That's a yeah, big difference. Pretty, pretty big. After talking to you and changing, I lost about 20. And I think that the, the key, to changing your diet lifestyle is uh, to not think of it as a diet because you're going to do that 20%. You're going to quote unquote fail. I don't even want to call it a failure, no. but you're going to let those other foods in yep. and you're going to beat, beat yourself up about it yeah. because, well, I should be eating this way, blah, blah. Um, but I think that's key. It's like just, just that change. I don't think I've ever kept that amount of weight off. Like I'm, I was usually like a 200 pounder. You know, and I think when I started, I was maybe two, two oh five, and now I'm steady one eighty five. Like, yep. I, and that's I don't know if I can get really much lighter than that. But I think more of it is is just yeah, it's your how you feel, and then look in the mirror how you look and how your clothes fit. Mm -hmm. I think those are those are big keys to whether you're successfully adopting some of these lifestyle changes. I think. Yeah, that, that's <clears> exactly <throat> it. I mean, and I mean, even at one seventy seven, I wouldn't say that I was I was unhealthy i mean i think that you know compared to you know probably my peers or or you know um others i mean uh, i was probably you know average or slightly above average but do you think that was muscle mass muscle mass do you think your body was adapting to its new kind of more endurance profile rather than no, I think the majority of it was was um, excess body fat, a lot of a lot of visceral um, stuff. You know, even places like uh, you know, fat hides everywhere, um, and you know, it, it'll hide on your ankles, it'll hide behind <laughs> the knees, it'll hide. You know, and, and I think for me that you know, I've always been kind of that barrel chested 
um, little guy. Uh, but I, I think it just slowly, the barrel was just slowly getting, you know, a light layer, you know, annually, you know, it was a, it, it was a slow accumulation. So, right. um, you know, to see it all come off so quickly and, and eff- well, I'm not going to say it was effortless. I mean, it, it, it took, it, it took awareness and education and a conscious <laughs> effort. Um, but once you start seeing the results, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you kind of get like, you get excited by it and you're like, wow, like, I'm not having to put 20 hours a week on the bike. I can you know, just do yeah. my regular stuff. And I'm still seeing these positive um, changes that are, that are having a multitude of, of positive effects in my life. So, you know, why, why wouldn't I do it? Yeah, um, for sure. You know? So you, you mentioned the intermittent fasting, fasting thing. I know there's a couple different components to that. There's, there's uh, fasting where, where uh, like quarterly fasting, I've heard people once every quarter you fast for like a week, do a water fast. And then there's also the the time restricted feeding, which is also considered intermittent fasting. Do you, what's your eating window? Do you have a, a specific uh, window you try to maintain? Yeah. Just <clears throat> for me, um, I've never really been a breakfast person. Right. Um, I like my, my little bit of morning coffee. Um, uh, but for me, I try and, eat the majority of what I'm going to eat kind of, you know, after one o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, really depends, um, on, on the day and, and what I have, you know, kind of going into the evening. I do a lot of uh, evening rides, uh, with groups and guiding and stuff. So I, you know, some of those days will be a little, a little bit more calorie, um, intensive, but, uh, try and shut it down, you know, like just before bed and then, you know, wake up in the morning and I really don't eat until, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like, Oh yep, I'm definitely right. going to need something. So it's like a 10 hour window, you think? Uh, it, well, it would probably <clears throat> be more like a 12 to 16 hour window of, of it floats, you oh, know? Okay. So, um, there's a lot of times, like if I'm really busy, um, then it'll typically be like a 16 hour window. Cause I mean, when you're occupied, it's, you know, it's easy not, not to yeah. eat and the body just kind of goes and yeah. goes into that mode of, of, of fueling itself. Um, it's, sometimes it's the, you know, around the house working from home and, and maybe, you know, there's, um, you know, some temptations in the, in the cupboard or in the, in the fridge that you that kind of get you, um, and shuts that window down maybe a bit early, but, um, for the majority of the time, 12, 16 hours is kind of the, the, uh, the fasted state. And, and then, um, the latter would be the, uh, the eating window. Right. I like how you mentioned, I think you mentioned this before about, um, kind of whatever your eating lifestyle is to try to carry that onto the bike with you if you're doing an endurance race. So how, do, how does that look? How do you how do you translate that from your everyday life to on the bike eating? Like, what are your superfoods? What do you like to take with you on the bike that aligns with your <laughs> donuts? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. No. There's a couple of really good 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 um, uh, bars that are on the market um, that I really like. But you know, I, I do like different types of nuts, uh, almonds, cashews. Um, one of my secret weapons is uh, is uh, like peanut butter, I, I just love just oh, yeah. roasted peanut butter, like organic peanut yeah. butter. And, uh, hemp hearts are kind of a, a staple. Um, trying to think, so many of the of the uh, you know the longer rides and stuff that I do, it, 
it ends up being that I don't eat a whole lot. <laughs> no, you totally have to. So it's so hard to, to really peg it down. Um, but, you know, uh, if I have to do, you know, something that's more carbohydrate based, um, you know, like a, like an oatmeal, um, you know, is, is typically pretty light and pretty calorie dense if you're, uh, mm-hmm. if you, if you can find some hot water. And low, low glycemic index too, yep. right? Low, low, low. Um, yeah, the, uh, the range that I have is, is, is fairly small. I'd like, um, a little bit of beef jerky or mm. there's a, a, a bacon jerky out there that, that's quite, quite good. Um, yeah. Almond butters, um, anything that really packs like micronutrient dense, um, uh, you know, uh, micronutrient and calorie dense, uh, offerings that, you know, you know, I'll, I'll typically take, um, you know, a concoction that I've, I've made in the past is, uh, an avocado, a banana, sea salt and honey, and then you make it into like a mash. And, you know, that, that's more for, um, you know, like a uh, 24 hour or lap racing where you can kind of, you know, uh, feed more often. A lot of athletes that I've, I've had in the past have, uh, sworn by that just, gets you everything everything you need um ready one kind of little concoction um but yeah it's it it varies i'm I'm always experimenting with with new things um there's so many different products out on the market that you can uh that you can try um you know that are that are out there so it's it's all individual it has to it has to taste good and and has to you know, meet the demands that you're, you're putting out. So winter will be really different than what I would probably have in the summertime too. Right. So yeah, you could like bring a brick of butter with you in the winter. Too, yeah. Just slices <laughs> of butter. <laughs> I, yeah. Was it uh, last year on the, uh, on the ITI, uh, Jay Peterberry put out like a, like a, like a gear, a food grid. He had all his boxes of food that he was mailing out mm-hmm. and yeah, he just, it was like a half pound of butter, half like a stick of butter, and yeah, you just slice that off. And then he had what else did he make? He made this bacon thing. Oh, it was peanut butter on like a big piece of parchment, just peanut butter, and then bacon, and he rolled it up yeah. and he just shoved it in his bag because it's so cold. Yeah, right? it just it doesn't like a, leak it'll be like a peanut stuff. brittle bacon. Oh, bacon so good. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, trying to carry over what what you would normally uh, take on maybe a, a really long training rod or, or what you would grab for as a snack, um, and just transferring that over to the bike is it's fairly easy. I mean, I know that you know after being at the bike pack summit um, for the last few years and, and chatting uh, with a lot of folks, um, even those going into the gas stations and stuff now, they're they're looking for the jerkies and the in the nuts mm-hmm. and you know trying to make um, you know better food choices, which is really good for um, you know for their uh, for their body and for their mind and, and, uh, you know, a little bit closer to what they would normally eat. So on a 24 hour race, would you ever just skip eating a lap or are the demands you put on your body a little bit higher that you would actually need to, to eat something every lap? It, it, you know, that's a really good question because over the number of years that I did it, it really evolved. Um, you know, and it, it depends on your, your environment, right? So, really hot day, you're mm. going to want to be consuming a lot more fluids. Well, because you're taking in more fluids, your windows, those 15 minute windows, you know, kind of close a little bit tighter around uh, eating. Right. Um, sometimes in warmer temperatures, you don't feel like eating uh, very specific, you know, very, very much or very specific things. Like, you know, I know there's races where it would be like, you'd eat like 
watermelon and bananas and you know things that just you know were soft and you know oh, could, yeah. could satisfy or quench your thirst at the same time yeah. um and then there's other events where you know i've been ankle deep in mud for 24 straight hours pushing and hiking a bike and you know sweating profusely right. where you know you're every time you're coming through you're you're consuming you know large amounts of calories because it's not it's not a timed hour lap, you know, it's like, it's however long it takes you. So some places it would be a 35 minute lap. Some places it would be an hour and a half lap. So super dependent on train, obviously. Yeah. yeah, It'd be, it would be, yeah. Elevation, temperature, the environment, you know, how much you were, you know, sweating, whether you were, you know, leading the race and, and running scared and, you know, burning, burning a few extra matches or whether you were sitting comfortable in, you know, another position and you were closing the gaps on, on other people. Like it was, you know, it would really, really depend, mm. you know, when you were in that position of being chased, you typically didn't eat much when you were <laughs> chasing, you were like, I want to keep up the chase. So you, you tend to want to eat and drink more uh, because right. you're like, I just don't want this feeling, this good feeling of me closing and chasing to end, you know? So, but when you're running scared, you know, it's, it's that fight or flight that kicks in and sometimes you just don't consume enough calories and it comes back later to haunt you. So every race is, is so completely like different. And another, another question on the same vein, it's like, uh, about skipping the pit stops. I haven't done a 24 hour race. I'm, I'm interested though. I think I'd like to try one. I think the intensity would be a bit different than a, a normal bikepacking race, but um, could you just eat on the bike and not pit? Like, does that make sense? Like, would that work? It's well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like treat it like a bike packing race, yeah, you, except you're doing laps. Yeah, but just you, like I'll just eat on the bike. I'll just yeah. bring a little little, little top tube bag and put some food in there. And... Yeah, you definitely could do that. I mean, I I attempted that um, the golden twenty four hour oh, yeah. a couple years ago. Um, set Did up work. Yeah, I set up a bike and and you know I just kind of pedaled along and I ate when I wanted, not when I was back at the emotional high low roller coaster ride of the pit. I didn't actually have a pit. I had a stack of bottled water right a case of water no chair no chair no chair nice. of water. Um, but unfortunately after like 16 hours of it like being a torrential downpour um oh. my bike weighed like 70 pounds because oh. it was covered in mud and um, stuff so um and it started snowing on the course at the far end <laughs> of like brutal time in the morning so i was just like you know what i'm smiling right now and i feel really good and i can feel my fingers i'm like I'm probably two laps away from becoming a liability to the race organizers and oh, myself. Really? So, you know, I, uh, my better judgment, it was actually my last 20 You're a bit, you're a bit high? high? Like hallucinating? Kind no, 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 of? no, no, oh, no, 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 no. I was like, I was happy. I was like, right. I, I was satisfied with the effort I put in. Right. Um, and it was my, tw- like my 25th, uh, 24 hour uh, solo oh, attempt that I'd, I'd put in. So it was, it was interesting to go through that and to, to just, you know, um, it's kind of an interesting one because it was like I didn't fail at it. I quit. It was like, oh, you, you didn't finish it? No, I didn't finish it. It was after sixteen hours. I like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. like, you know what? I I'm I'm gonna become a liability here. So I need to uh, remove myself from this position because I don't want to be a liability to myself, and I need to work on Monday morning. And I want the race organizers to sleep well tonight because they know that I'm safe. Um, and so you know, it's kind of that difference between you know, did I fail at the attempt? No, I, I weighed the odds and I was happy with the outcome. So I decided at that point in time to quit. Like I didn't, I didn't make a whole bunch of poor decisions going in that led to failure. Yeah. I did everything I possibly could right. to, to get to that point and right at the precipice of, of 
of deeming myself a liability. I just said, you oh, know what, I'm, uh, you know, my better judgment is saying that this is this is a good time to. That's good because it's your own journey, right? It's like whether you finish it or not. Yeah. It's it's like that's a success, right? If you finish uninjured and happy with your result or happy with your output. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked about uh, fat and carbs, and I know you want to talk a bit about protein as well. Like, where does protein fit into all this? We didn't really talk much about. That. Yeah, I mean, protein protein's a you know a, it's controversial. Yeah, because protein's not a fuel. People think protein's a fuel, and it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a it building helps. block. Yeah, it's a building block. It helps you to, to you know to to recover from from efforts. And I mean, it can be a fuel in times of of desperation and need when 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 the body is low on other fuels. But for the most part, in a North American diet, very few people are using proteins as as fuel source. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, for myself, um, you know, I I don't eat a lot of meat. I do eat, you know lean cuts of, of meat, mainly chicken and beef. Mm. Um, uh, the odd, you know, uh, you know, a bit of, bit of pork, mainly the bacon jerky, um, (laughs) or, or some prosciutto or, or something with some cheese. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, a firm believer that, you know, going down the vegetarian route and, and getting all of your, you know, all of your components of a complete protein from a variety of sources is still, you know, tried, tested, and true as being um, as being a good way to go. Um, it, it's all really personal choice. I mean, I, I don't have too many um, opinions. I, I, I do know that, you know, there are a few products on the market that, uh, that my wife and I just love and rave about um, that, that fall into the, you know, vegetarian type category and stuff. But um, you know, I've, I've told her recently, I'm like, um, because of this new thing that we're, that we're having delivered to the house with these meals, you know, in, in this vegetarian format, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'd be a vegetarian any day because they just, they're so plentiful and they taste so good and, and, and I feel so satisfied and, you know, I don't have the, the aftermath of, of, um, you know, meat consumption, <laughs> which, which <laughs> for, a lot of, for, for a lot of people can sometimes be, be a little bit, um, uh, detrimental, um, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't have much, yeah, much, um, uh, you know, to say on the on the protein front. And like yourself, I'm not, I'm not an expert in in uh, any way, shape, or form. I just, I know that I like to get it from a variety of sources, and right. I don't kind of pigeonhole <clears throat> myself into too much. I'll go on a kick where I'll have a couple of omelets in a week, or you know, if we if if we are planning a date night and. It happens to be a place where they do really nice steaks. We'll, uh, we'll do it there or, or whatever. But um, it, it's not something I'm too regimented about. Right. Um, it's, uh, you know, yeah, with a, with, a, with a balanced diet, they, you know, you can, um, you know, kind of have an ebb and flow. Yeah, live a little, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done a lot of races. Can you share, like, a totally crazy story about one of your races could be could be like craziness or it could be some fulfilling experience or some epiphany you had or one stands out oh wow lots of <laughs> lots of different uh different uh pathways we could go on there i, I think one of the one of the most interesting uh races that uh that i did was uh, with a 
a friend of mine, we went and did a, a race in Brazil. It was called Brazil Ride, and it was the very first year that, uh, that they had the, the event. And I think it was like the second or the third day, and it was like, it was an epic day. It was like 140 kilometers on like single track slash jungle water crossing, like Jeep track, like all kinds of, you know, terrain. And we had seen nobody for probably like 60 kilometers, like, and the towns that were there were inhabited by 20, 30 people kind of thing. And, um, I remember it was really, really hot and, but it was raining, <laughs> it rained the whole time. It rained for like the duration of the race. Oh, like man. our bikes were destroyed. Oh, no. Um, we had our heads down and there was like this concrete building. And, and if you saw this concrete building anywhere in North America, you would think it was like an old abandoned like mine shaft or something. And, um, we're like, we kind of see it. And then we like hear a chicken. It's like running across the road like this on this climb in front of us. And then out of the doorway of this shell of a building comes a man and he's got this extremely large rifle on his back. <laughs> and like, I'm thinking like this thing could take down like an elephant. Like it was just massive. And we both like, like just looked at each other and, and we don't speak the language. Like we don't speak Portuguese. So like we can't really say much. Um, and this chicken's running around and we're just like, we're both frantic. And, uh, so we, we both, um, you know, just, just say hi to him. Um, and he smiles and, you know, he nods his head and, and, uh, points up the road and, you know, and then waves to us and stuff. And we're like, okay, <laughs> that could have gone really, really bad, but you know, it, it was just, it was a culture shock more than anything. I think that was like just being in the middle of nowhere and, and, and having, yeah, I mean, that, you know, situation was, was surreal. And, and I mean, the prelude to, to that story was that when we landed in, uh, um, uh, when we landed in Brazil, we were at the airport and we were getting on, uh, there was two coach buses, um, that, uh, that were loading up all the riders from the airport on this given day. Like you had to fly in, they took all your bikes in one big like cube van. And then all the riders were on these like two big buses. Um, so there was like a hundred and some odd racers coming that way. And then if you lived in Brazil, you could drive to the race site, but in front of the buses and behind the buses were these military Jeeps that had these massive like anti-aircraft. Like, oh, like turrets? Turret, like, oh, no. And these guys that were so huge and jacked up wearing like bulletproof vests and like had machine guns. And, They're escorting you? Yes. Oh my God. Because the road that we had to take was like nine and a half hours to get there. And there was like these banditos that would like <laughs> come out and like stop tour buses and stuff. And then they would like take all your money and jewelry and they, yeah. So these guys like were escorting us. So, I was just like, when I saw the gun on the guy's back, I was like, I hope he's not one of those guys that we were supposed to be protected from on our way here with all these, you know, armed guards and stuff. So yeah, that was, um, that was just, it was surreal just being in that type of country, like so far away from home and, and just, you know, you, you felt so small and so far away. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of transformative really. I mean, 
those those journeys for you. you must you must have so many stories to tell yeah that's awesome so before i la ask my last question uh where can people find you uh where can they find me? Oh, dear. <laughs> That's a good um, question. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Cycling 101. Um, yeah, cycling101.com. Uh, 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 websites are uh, on there. You'll find Facebook link, uh, Cycling 101 uh, on Facebook, and uh, as well as on Instagram, uh, Cycling 101 uh, typically comes up uh, on there. Uh, I can also be reached at the um, adventures at reboundcycle.com if uh, you're looking for an email. Uh, with any questions, um, you know, to do with uh, instruction or guiding or any of those things. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, piece of advice to share with aspiring endurance athletes? Wow. That's a... That's, that's, that's the a, toughest question of the night. It is. It, it, <laughs> it really is the toughest one. Because if I had to make it one piece of advice... I mean, I think the biggest piece of advice is to think about whatever it is you want to accomplish as a journey in self-discovery and growth, like make sure that, you know, you're, you're asking questions and, and listening to podcasts and, um, reading books and listening to audiobooks and, and arming yourself with as much information as you possibly can before you jump on a bandwagon, like figure out what's working for you. Uh, be, uh, as opposed to what's worked for others and um, you know just just be really really aware of you know uh, of, of, of how your body responds to it like just that overall kind of body awareness and listen to your body yeah listen to your body and just yeah just have fun with it you know grow it's uh, it's uh, it can just be an amazing journey if you uh, you know if, if you have an open mind and, and just want to learn the whole time through if you think that someone's out there with all the answers that you can just pay to, you know, give you the shortcut, it just doesn't exist. Ryan Draper. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, Steve. So there you have it. Ryan Draper. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, it was fun to talk to him again. So don't forget, uh, you can find him on Instagram at ryan.cycling101. His website is cycling-101.com. And don't forget us on Instagram at bikepackcan. And if you hashtag bike pack can any of your photos, uh, some of them will show up on the website, I think. Um, and our website, bikepack.ca. Go and check it out. So thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in again, guys. Don't forget, you can send your feedback and any voice memos. Don't forget about the music I'm looking for. Send that to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. And let's keep this thing going and growing. Keep the rubber side down, people. <laughs>